couldn't be persuaded when they pleaded with her daughter, don't marry that gambling man. Mama couldn't be persuaded when they pleaded with her daughter, don't marry that gambling man. Mama couldn't be persuaded when they pleaded with her daughter, nevertheless, my mama, mama couldn't be persuaded when my granny pleaded with her not to marry that gambling man. Hello and welcome. To episode 786 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, presented by the Play Index at baseballreference.com. I'm Ben Lindbergh, 538, joined by Sam Miller, Baseball Prospectus. Hello. Hello. How are you? The same. Great. We're finally going to do a listener email show. I have one thing to send you before we begin. It's a picture that was posted in the Facebook group by a listener named Tom, who has a very difficult to pronounce last name, so I'm not going to try. It starts with an O. I would guess Altarshevsky. Yeah, this is a screen cap from an episode of Madam Secretary, which is a show that I saw once when my DVR recorded half of that show instead of Good Wife, which it does every now and then. It's a show starring my childhood crush, Taylor Leone, as Secretary of State. And evidently there was an episode that was tangentially about baseball, and we talk a lot about how TV shows should have common sense consultants or ads should have common sense consultants, and we also talk sometimes or write sometimes about how TV shows treat (laughs) baseball. I'm just looking at this now. (laughs) This is, is, from what I gather, there was an episode where Taylioni has to enlist the aid of a Venezuelan president and a sort of Hugo Chavez-esque figure. Oh and my so gosh, this is brutal. This she is recruits, so bad. She recruits a famous Venezuelan baseball player to go to Venezuela and I think offer to play for the Venezuelan World Baseball Classic team or something. Anyway, this is an image of his career stats, which seems to be on an iPad or something. I'll, I'll post a, a link to it. And on the show... There's this player, Emmanuel Manny Azuko, and he's described as the 15th on the list of all-time hitters. Seems like he's probably supposed to be a Pujols figure because he's a first baseman for the Cardinals with number five, except he's Venezuelan instead of Dominican. <laughs> so Similar face, too. Sort of, yeah. So Tom posted this image of his career stats, which was on the show, and... I just want to discuss a couple of the yeah. ways in right. which they're completely crazy. Yeah, looking forward to this. Good, go. <laughs> so I don't know what my favorite part is. So he's, he has 9,300 9, plate appearances, 9,334 plate appearances, and 9,292 at-bats. Uh-huh. So even though he has a career 441 on base percentage, and a 361 batting average. So his OVP is 80 points higher than his batting average, but he's apparently only been walked or hit by a pitch roughly 40 times in like a, a 20 year career, something like that. <laughs> he's got 209 home runs and, and he slugged 799, which is impressive. I yeah. guess he's got, he's got 413 doubles. That's not, not <laughs> it's not that many doubles. His, no, his, his extra base hits do not come close to equaling that kind of slugging percentage. His OPS is 102. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's no there's no decimal there that would make I mean, there's no that doesn't say it's OPS plus. It's just it's just 102. Yeah. So that's a problem. That is a problem. He has 1238 walks, by the way. So that kind of calls into question the on-base percentage. Um what else? He has uh, he has many. He has more walks. He has more home runs than strikeouts, which is very impressive. It hasn't really been done since the, the days of DiMaggio and Yogi Berra. Um, I don't know what are what are what are the other good things here. Well, they they bother to list total bases, yeah, which right. which you can see all the components of his total bases. You can see his hits, doubles, triples, and home runs, and somehow he's got a thousand and ten more total bases than is than are accounted for here which is like that's the first sign of a cheater (laughs) if you ask me i mean that that doesn't add up like literally Uh that literally does not uh does not add up Mm -hmm. um 
There is, uh, did you, I'm sorry, did you say that he struck out 206 times? Yeah, I misspoke. In 9,300 <laughs> plate appearances? Well, if I'm taking this literally, Except he it's struck out about point, one fifth of one One time. fifth, right. It's point two zero six. Point two zero six. Point two zero six. yeah. His career strikeout total. Uh, yeah. He has a C on his cap, which maybe is supposed to be Cardinals, except it's yellow and the rest of his uniform is blue and there's no logo on it anywhere. They also have his season stats. Yeah. And, and then right below it, they have his season stats again, and they're completely different season stats. Like there, he has 41 more hits in the second one, and he has a 400 batting average, which is 100 points higher than it lists uh, in here. And he also has uh, 29 extra runs. And also, baseball scored, card scored 135 runs in 2008. The other Pretty thing impressive. is that the other thing is that I just like Manny, like a manual quotation marks Manny Azuko. <laughs> like Manny is his name. That's not a. It's not like he's he's not like I think that his name. They would just say Manny. By this point, wouldn't everybody just call him Manny? Right. Like, who puts Manny Ramirez in quotation marks? <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly that. He also, did you mention that he is uh, in this insane career where he has a full season, uh, I mean a full career with a what is actually a 1,240 OPS. Uh, he has somehow only driven in 1,000 runs while scoring 1,700. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that's really unclutch. Kind of a, maybe he's a leadoff hitter. He's a table setter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and... Yeah, it's just weird because this is not hard. <laughs> like, he also has he also has a 361 career batting average with uh, 2918 hits and 9292 <laughs> at bats, which is a 314 yeah. career batting average. It's just so easy to get this right, Ben. Like they you, listed so many stats, like they listed every baseball stat. They listed caught stealing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd think if they were going to list every single stat and show every single stat they might ask someone it's so easy <laughs> what like should I, stats look like i get that like if my wife were writing for this show she'd have to say hey what are some good numbers right yeah. like like mm-hmm. tell me what would a great player do but th- it's so easy to do to be consistent internally within the stats like that uh-huh. is not a hard thing to do no not at all i don't get it maybe it's a stealth marketing campaign they wanted to be mentioned on baseball podcasts who criticized their their stats. Yeah. It worked. There's also a 3-0 count on him, and he's not even wearing a helmet. I don't know if you can see that. <laughs> That's true. In the scoreboard, it has a 3-0 count. <laughs> anyway, I love it. Oh, so, so weird. A lot of, <laughs> yeah, a lot of, lot, of, lot of problems here. So easy to do this. Yep. This is a four-second problem. It is. Yeah, there's got to be, I mean, evidently there's, there's, even if there's no one in the writer's room who knows anything about baseball, they must know someone who knows something about baseball. <laughs> they could they could email podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Well, they, they could, could li- they subscribe could, to the play index using yeah. the coupon code PP. Even if you don't want to do the math, literally just go steal Babe Ruth's numbers. Sure. Yeah. You're done. You're good. Yeah. And then, and then we probably would still mention because we'd be so impressed at our eagle-eyed. Although uh-huh. the seven, the seven fourteen would be a dead giveaway. Yeah, but yeah, the two hundred and nine home runs is really weird. Like, why would they only give him two hundred and nine home runs? That is really strange for a guy who's like eight hundred and is, is and a the, star. And they're trying; they're obviously trying to make a point with these numbers. What do you think the point is? That he's a superstar. That he's oh, the greatest well, sure. player ever. And well, fifteenth of all time. That's what he is, according to the show. Oh, okay, yeah, but well, still, that's pretty good. Fifteenth <laughs> on the list of all-time hitters. That could that could just mean batting average. How old I, would I you know. guess this this man is by his picture? <laughs> Thirty-six. Oh, really? I would have said like 28, 27, no, 28. I think he's age appropriate. Really? Yeah. All right. You, you have face blindness. I do. He has that young extent to age. He has young hands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's why he's the fifteenth of all time. He's Manny. got those quick hands. Manny. <laughs> yeah. Quote unquote. All right. Well, thanks to Tom for spotting that. If anyone else notices instances of statistical problems on baseball shows, please let us know.
Oh my goodness. <laughs> All right. Okay. Not only that, but this guy's a free agent in 2018. Oh, yeah. That's probably true. <laughs> Wasn't mentioned in Jeff's article. All right. Question from Corey. We got a bunch of opt-out questions. Some of them were just asking us to restate what we've said about opt-outs before. But Corey wants to know how the value of an opt-out differs between a pitcher and a hitter. Is it possible that opt-outs for hitters are less team-friendly in a way that opt-outs for pitchers aren't? Like pitchers are just so susceptible to breaking and so unreliable and injury-prone that maybe we should treat opt-outs differently depending on the player? Uh, I think it's a lot more likely that over the uh, in the time between the contract being signed and the time that the opt-out comes out that a pitcher uh, will either have lost all of his value or held a greater portion of his value. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the you know there's just less of a linear degradation that makes it also kind of predictable for hitters. Mm-hmm. So I would guess that you're more likely to be like. Like, for instance, Zach Granke. Who, who are people who have opted out? Granke opted out, and J.D. Drew opted out, and... Yeah. Sabathia. Sabathia opted out. And Sabathia and Granke were essentially not just as good as when they signed the contract, when their opt-out came up, but probably better. Uh-huh. Like, Granke, Granke undeniably better, right? I mean, he, yeah. he, he got a lot more money, even adjusted for inflation. Um, and I just don't think you're likely to see that with hitters, partly because you're less likely to see continued growth uh, from a great hitter uh, between 27 and 31 or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. But also because even if you do, you're still like, well, but now he's 31. And you're not going to project him to keep saying that that way. But with Granky, like, I wouldn't really predict any age-related decline over the next couple of years, few years. I would predict... Uh, the normal amount of attrition for a pitcher yeah. uh, that he could break at any moment. But if you told me that Granky was still you know, healthy, just as healthy in two years as now, I would expect him to be pitching about as good as he will tomorrow. Whereas with a hitter, I would go, okay, and also he's probably worse. Uh-huh. So yeah, it seems like there's more of a binary kind of aspect to the pitcher. Like with Cueto, for instance, it doesn't really seem like it's likely to be a close decision for Cueto. Mm-hmm. It's either going to be the world's easiest opt-out or the world's easiest stay here. Yeah. Uh, and hitters are kind of more in that middle ground where you might, as a team, uh, have a different opinion of the player. And But, uh, you know, like it's sort of negotiating whether he's he's in that the upper end or the lower end of a fairly narrow range of forecasts. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. People people treat them differently, and there's probably some reason for that. Still not so much that you would say that it favors the team, right? No, not so much that it favors the team. I've been thinking about the Cueto one a little bit, and the Cueto one, the opt-out comes so soon mm-hmm. that that you can sort of see that as a way of landing Cueto. I mean, it really does seem to be the case that uh, if Cueto opts out, the Giants will have cashed out a huge profit. And if he doesn't opt out, well, they were going to be stuck with that anyway. And they might rather, sure, they might rather have him for those next four years. So they might still prefer he not opt out. But as a way of inducing or attracting a free agent that you like so much, it seems mm-hmm. like that I, I, th- I sort of am now thinking that the two year is better than the three or the four year for the club. Uh-huh. Because the the closer you get it, the more uh, likely he is to... It's weird. I don't know. I don't like talking about opt-outs anymore. <laughs> They're too confusing. <laughs> they really are. <laughs> All right. Moratorium on opt-outs on this podcast. <laughs> okay. All right. Anthony sent us an email exchange, and he wants us to help him out. It's an email exchange with his dad, and it's about Barry Bonds. And he says, help me persuade my dad. So his first email to his dad, and I'm assuming that this is picking up in the middle of an ongoing conversation, he says, Barry Bonds, Justin Pittsburgh was more val- more valuable than the following Hall of Famers' entire careers. 
then he lists them, Jim Rice, Tony Perez, Nellie Fox, Ralph Kiner, Ernie Lombardi, and Sandy Koufax. And then he includes a link to a baseball reference play index report, which is, or I guess it's not a play index report. It's just a baseball reference report, but still close. So his dad responds, he did have great stats, but was awful in the clutch. There are a few memorable moments to his career compared to those you list. He also wasn't a leader in the clubhouse. That's what makes a great baseball player. Signed, Dad. And then Anthony responds, it's hard to say someone's not clutch when they have a lifetime 700 on base percentage in the World Series. Anthony's dad says, once again, he had great stats but did not do well when it counted, especially in the early 1990s with the Pirates. Go look at the batting average he had in those playoffs. And that's the end of the of the exchange. I, I assume they're still on speaking terms and are planning to spend the holidays together and have managed to get past this. But Anthony wants us to help persuade Anthony's dad that Barry Bonds was good at baseball. Well, I guess I would say that there's probably no point to trying. No, we've, we've talked before about how it's impossible to persuade anyone of anything. The and more you, you try, it only makes them it more dogged yeah. in, in whatever they believed before you tried to persuade them. Yeah. So there's probably nothing that you can do, Anthony. You might have to just give this one up. The thing that we, we don't know, it doesn't seem like there's a PED component to this dispute, at least not in the part of it that we've seen. The data is not claiming that Barry Bond's stats are illegitimate because of how they were obtained. He is just saying that they, you know, that he was a compiler or that he was doing all this when it didn't count it. And when it counted, he, he wasn't good. And that therefore you have to discount the things that he did. And I guess he's saying that he's not Hall of Fame worthy, worthy just because of that. So I, I don't know. I don't know how you persuade someone who isn't questioning the legitimacy of Bonds' stats, although maybe that's a subtext to this. Maybe he's looking for reasons to knock him down because of that. I would guess that the fact that we're talking about only the Pirates years is... <laughs> I, would, I would speculate that the uh, preamble to this was... Uh, dad saying it was all steroids and Anthony saying even before the steroids, he uh-huh. was a Hall of Famer and dad said, nah. Yeah, <laughs> right. That could be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that the best way that you convince him here is uh, you live a, a life well, you know, you uh, you earn his respect in a lot of different ways uh, <laughs> and you, um, uh, you know, you maybe make it known in a non-argumentative way that you believe Barry Bonds is a great player, and then that's an important thing that you have uh, thought through and have very little doubt about, uh, and that you never, ever, ever bring up. And that uh, in the way that you live your life, he will see a man of uh, authority and uh, and and seriousness. He will see mm-hmm. that you're not a frivolous person, mm-hmm. and gradually, uh, without even realizing it, he will be persuaded uh, by uh, by your actions. Yeah, it's like it's work. like just threaten to cut him off from the grandkids. There's a, a line from ah oh geez I forget who it is who said it I I'm I want to say it was like uh, like uh, Saint Augustine or something but I bet Saint Augustine is like the uh, Mark Twain of <laughs> fake uh, fake uh, religious wisdom mm-hmm. but uh, there's a line from somebody like that that is um, something like uh, pray continually sometimes even use words uh, mm-hmm. and it's sort of the same way with with arguing that you should. You should argue your point all the time, but but rarely have to use your, you, you use actual words to persuade. Mm. You yeah. should you should uh, you know it should they they should look at you and go I want to believe what he believes because he is a smart person. Uh huh. Yeah. So if you if you were able to establish his baseball credentials in some other way, then maybe it would extend to his beliefs about bonds. Yeah. Exactly. I would say send him our Bonds podcast, but that wouldn't help because we didn't talk about Bonds clutch stats. So he could use the same comeback that he's used against Anthony's other arguments. Yeah, Bonds, uh, not not that uh, I would bring this up, but uh, Bonds actually had a good third series. Uh, Bonds had three postseason series with Pittsburgh and he was good in the third one. And if you just, uh, if you want to be, uh, if you want to convince by cherry picking, if you just, you lop off the first two, and then go from 1992 on, which includes 
some Pittsburgh and some pre. Then he has great post, like insane postseason numbers. And uh-huh. you could say uh, he was young and it took him time to grow into that role, but he clearly yeah. did. Yeah, sure. He's, you could say you might even drop in sort of uh, phrases that your dad might appreciate, like learned from his elders, <laughs> veterans. Yeah. He found, yeah, he found his uh, he. He found his place in the game, learned from veterans, uh-huh. stepped up. Yeah, probably stepped up sounds like a, a line that would go over well. Yeah, okay. Try that. See if it works. Let us know. I'm now seeing it. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing this attributed to, um, to St. Francis of Assisi, which, again, that he's the Martin Luther King of, <laughs> yeah. uh, of, of attribution. But it, the, the exact phrase is preach always. Sometimes preach the gospel always, sometimes use words. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sometimes just use a link to the baseball reference page. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Alex says, today, if you had the chance, would you trade Trout for two identical copies of Jose Fernandez? And this is using their actual contract statuses. Mm, so let's establish the terms here. Uh, Fernandez is three years from free agency. And so we'll be getting ARB money for those three years. So what do you think is a, a an estimate off the top of my head would be that he'll make something like 40 in the next three years if he stays healthy, like yeah. something like 8, 12, 20 or so? I, yeah, I guess even more. Really? Well, let's see. Let's, let me see what he's projected. He's eligible for arbitration this year this or next this coming arbitration period uh he is eligible at right now as we speak right now yeah so he is because he came up they brought him up well oh was he a super two because they brought him up on the first day of the yeah right um so he made uh oh but he only made six hundred and fifty thousand last year so yeah so matt swartz has him projected for only 2.2 million wow this coming year goodness gracious yeah i don't know if maybe the model that is used doesn't work so well for outliers like Jose Fernandez, but so yeah. I mean, if he if he continues to be as good as he's been and doesn't get hurt again, then that will go up very quickly. But uh, so let's just say let's go let's err on the side of a little bit higher and say three years and forty million, but okay. with no with no commitment. So theoretically, mm-hmm. if he blew out his shoulder, then you'd pay a lot less. Yes. Okay. Trout, meanwhile, is five years. And 130, 140 million. So five and 140. So you could either have five years of Trout at 140 or six years of Fernandez co uh, uh, running concurrently. So not six years away from now, but the six years of, uh, of right now Jose Fernandez for about 80. So is one year of Fernandez, uh, one extra year of Fernandez and six. Uh, 70, 70, $60 million enough to overwhelm the whatever war difference there are. So Trout in the next five years probably would be forecast, projected for somewhere around 40-ish war, right? About 80 year. Yeah. And Fernandez, I would guess, is probably four and a half-ish a year. Uh-huh. Uh, and I would maybe consider that, well, I would, I would consider that low, but wrongly, probably. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so let's say he's 20, uh, 27 over six years. Trout's 40 over six years. We're just adding up the wars right now. We'll talk about it. But right now we're doing the add up the wars, okay? So yeah. we've got about a 13 war gap for about uh-huh. $60 million, which would be a bargain. You would yeah. rather have Trout. Yes, okay. right. Because a difference of 13 war is, you know, whatever. If you were going to pay for that in free agency, it'd be over a five-year period, it might be like 120 million or something. All right. So now we talk about what factors would uh, supersede that math. So uh, maybe you think an ace pitcher is more valuable. Maybe you think an ace pitcher. I mean, you can trade Fernandez. You can't really trade Trout. Although I guess in this scenario, Trout is being traded. Yeah. But you could theoretically trade Fernandez for a ridiculous return. Uh, and now you're going to get, if you, if you want to, if you wanted to, if it fit your team's needs, you could, uh, without huge political ramifications, trade Fernandez for a lot more wars at a lot less money in a prospect return, potentially. Mm-hmm. With Trout, you're stuck with Trout. 
so that's well, maybe one thing you might you might rather you could. have. I mean, the obstacle to trading trout is probably more on the Angels side than it is on other teams side. It's not like other teams wouldn't be interested if the Angels were seriously interested. Yeah, and I guess if Fernandez was on the Angels, you'd probably would have the same thing. Mm-hmm. And if Trout were on the Marlins, you would probably have Trout would probably be traded. So yeah. All right, mm-hmm. so fair enough. So that's not an issue. So that we have the uh, we have the uh, we have the boomer bust factor. Mm-hmm. You're much more likely to get nothing or to get very little out of Fernandez than you are Trout. Trout is as sure a thing as there is. Yeah. In baseball, mm-hmm. uh, that what, that sentence is going to look bad in four <laughs> years when Trout is uh, his leg has fallen off in a Although horrible that's, uh, that's, train accident. That's included in the war projections that we just came up with, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, it's it's included. The yeah, the, there is. I would say that the, the the error bars are much higher, though. Yes. Yeah. And with trout, what I mean, trout's floor in about uh, what it's about in probably in ninety eight percent of cases, trout's floor is twenty ish wins over five years. Hmm. What? How? What percentile? Would you have to go to to get down below twenty wins for Trout's next five years? Would you guess? So he'd have to be a, a less than a four win player on average over yeah. that time. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's got to be like fifth percentile. Fifth percentile, and then what is the what percentile to get him down to ten? <laughs> uh, like one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, agreed. Uh, whereas for uh, Fernandez. Uh, it's probably like a 12th percentile gets him below five. Yeah. He could hurt his shoulder and be done. Yeah. I would say a one in eight chance that Fernandez produces fewer than five wins over the next three years. Hmm. Maybe, although we're talking about six years, so it'd be right. two and a half wins over the next three. 12, that might be a little, that might be a little, five, five for, for one Fernandez, I could see being 12%. For mm-hmm. five for two Fernandezes, <laughs> of course, if we have two Fernandezes, we're talking about two actual Fernandezes. So then the uh, chances of both busting, do they bust in, are they like uh, uh, in tandem? Like yeah. As, what, as one goes, so goes the other. Yeah. What is that thing? Quantum entanglement? Are they oh, quantum yeah. entangled? <laughs> Yeah, maybe, sure. If there are clones of them, then that probably is consistent. Okay, so then the boomer bust is the same. I uh, So I would say that if I'm a GM, I would, I would well, that helps Trout. I, I mean, unless I'm in a very weird situation where, I guess if I'm maybe a team that is, uh, that has to take riskier bets because I'm a small market team, like if I'm the A's, for instance, mm-hmm. maybe maybe it makes sense to go the boom bust route with Fernandez mm-hmm. it does doesn't it uh, there's also the uh postseason factor the I mean two for if you can get there I know that <laughs> but but I know but seriously though if you could get there and you had two Jose Fernandez's in the postseason you'd rather have for those three and a half weeks you would opt for two Jose Fernandez's over one Mike Trout yes you would yeah, you would just right like even mm-hmm. though we've established that they're uh, you know, they're not significantly better than Trout, probably, uh, mm-hmm. over the course of a full year. I think it's undeniable that for that month, you would rather have two Jose Fernandez's. I agree. So if you're a team that expects to make the postseason and you're thinking, I mean, then so much of the value is going to be concentrated in that. And it's not like it's a huge lopsided uh, uh, skew uh, anyway in the regular season. So, yeah, I think if I was a team that thought I had a 45% postseason odds uh, per year just by the uh, fundamentals of my organization, mm-hmm. I, w- I think I would take Fernandez. Hmm. All right. Especially because, it, down. especially because it is only projecting three years out. Three years out twice, but it's not projecting six years out. Yes. Whereas, and so I feel more confident that Fernandez will be there for me, and I uh, and with Trout. I mean, now I'm projecting five years out with Trout, and I'm less confident that he's still an eight year eight win player. Confident, but less confident. Mm -hmm. Also, there's a second draft pick at the end of it. Yeah, that's true. So I take Fernandez. Okay. All right, I'll take him too. All right. Who do we need to tell? Do we have to tell anybody? Like, do we have to? (laughs) 
arrange for this to happen now or can we just <laughs> leave it as is? Not sure we have the power to clone no. Jose Fernandez. Mm-mm. All right, play index. We're there already. Yeah, we've been talking for a while. No kidding. Mm-hmm. All right, this is an extremely quick play index, maybe the quickest. <laughs> I was uh, looking at some generic pitching prospect, relief pitching prospect the other day, and uh, he's six foot five. And I thought, that's pretty big. Mm-hmm. Big body, you'd say big body. Yep. And so I looked at play index and I wanted to see what year he would have been the tallest player in baseball. Uh-huh. What the most, the latest year he would have been the tallest player in baseball. And uh, as recently as 1933, he would have been the tallest player in all of baseball at six five, which is not that tall. But he would have been the tall, tied for the tallest player in baseball. So I lo- I uh, so then I did a, a a yearly search for guys who are at least six five to see how it has changed over the uh, course of the sport. And I looked just at pitchers because if you look at this, uh, if you look at old timey ball players, even back then you saw more tall pitchers uh, and very few tall hitters. So I just limited it to pitchers and I sort I uh, searched for number of pitchers matching 77 inches or higher per year and saw how many per year. So just a count per year. All right. Okay. And there were many fewer players. There were many years. There were many fewer players. Right. And so, uh, like in the 1900s, there, there was one Cy Falkenberg was Uh the one and and he was, he was the guy. Uh, and, and then he hung out, he hung on through the teens, but was joined by about four to six guys per year Mm -hmm. that dropped after world war one, oddly. Maybe because Cy Falkenberg got old, and mm-hmm. uh, and now we are down to uh, in some years in the twenties two, uh, Slim Harris and Epa Rixie, the two mm-hmm. primarily. Slim Harris, by the way, there were three, there were three who show up most, but there are actually there are four. <laughs> this is interesting. There are four in some years, and if you look at the twenties, the four names that most show up: Epa Rixie. Okay. Mm-hmm. Slim Harris, Slim McGrew, (laughs) Uh Slim Love. (laughs) Slim Love. Slim Love. Three of the four tall guys were nicknamed Slim. (laughs) They just. (laughs) I guess that makes sense. Just right away. They just, they give you a uniform number and they call you Slim. (laughs) It's in the contract. Uh (laughs) I wonder if anybody ever called Epa Rixie Slim. Let me, I'm going to Google. Let's see. Okay. Epa Slim Rixie. Unfortunately, we can't call him. No, but similar Southpaw contemporaries include Slim Sally. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shows up. Uh, no, I do not see Epa Rixie being nicknamed Slim mm. at any uh, at any point, unfortunately. So then in the 30s, it drops down to one. One six, five player in the 30s, and it's Epa. There's no mm-hmm. slims left. In the, uh, so it, sometimes it's more late 30s. It goes up to three-ish Harry Boyles, which is appetizing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, and then in the uh, 40s, uh, after uh, they, uh, everybody tall had to go fight in the war. Mm-hmm. So 1945, it bottoms out again at two. Johnny G and Pinky Woods. And then uh, after the war, immediate spike after the war. So sevens sixes 50s it goes up to 12 one year but it's still sevens and sixes so basically what we're saying is there is still even through the 1950s there does not seem to be any particular appetite for the tall pitcher right Mm -hmm. there are a few more than there were in the slim days when pickens were very slim (laughs) but still very like we're talking four in 1958 for instance Mm -hmm. and then in the 60s with expansion so yes, we're we're starting to add to the league, and by the end of the '60s, by the early '70s, we're almost doubling the the size of the league. But uh, in the '60s, it goes up uh, very quickly to the 20s. By 1969, there are 27. So in 10 in 11 years, we've multiplied by you know by about on average by about five to six times the number of tall pitchers. In the '70s, it's there's a second spike in 77 
which coincides with uh, with another small expansion, but not enough to explain how it goes. In 77, it goes 42, 48, 49, 54 in 1980. So from 1969 to 1980, we've had another doubling. Uh-huh. And then it stays totally steady until, strangely, the next expansion, which again, increases the player pool, but only by 7%. So we're, the numbers are extremely consistent from 1980 on. 54, 47, 47, 54, 61, 52, 48, 50, 52, 54, 55, 54, 53, 70. Okay? Wow. So in that one year, 17. That We added 50 players to the player pool. Maybe 48. I can't remember if they were doing 24-man rosters then. But we added 50 players to the player pool. And of those 15, 17 were six foot five pitchers. <laughs> Just seems like a lot, right? Uh-huh. 70, 78, we're in the 70s throughout the two throughout the 90s. And then we're in the 80s throughout the 2000 through the first half of the 2000s. And then we have in 2006 the real the real spike. I would say this one does not coincide with any expansion at all, but we go from an average of about 70 to maybe 80 a year to almost overnight from 2005 to 2006 we break into the triple digits. It's never dropped below triple digits again. 2011, it peaked at 123. So between, say, 1995 and 2011, it doubled yet again to 123. Uh, not one of them, not a single one of them, nicknamed Slim. And uh, and that's where we are. So it is. Um, it has not been necessarily a smooth uh, rise in tall pitchers. Mm-hmm. And and it also does seem to be to some degree um, a a modern like a very a recent thing, which I guess if you and I have both edited prospect writers, this is mm-hmm. not that surprising. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but somewhere in the mid two thousands, the value of the tall pitcher seems to have taken a uh, a leap in uh, evaluative for evaluative purposes. And uh, so now we're up to 100 and, 120 per year. There are seven slims in Major League history. Yeah, all pitchers. Tall. Yeah, heights. Slim Sally, 6'3", Slim Harris, 6'6", six, six, Slim Love, 6'7", Slim Emmerich, only 6'1", Slim McGrew, 6'7". Wow, 6'7", in the 20s. Yeah. Slim Embry, 6'2", and Slim Harrell, 6'3". Interesting. Seven slims, and then there are uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven more guys who were nicknamed Slim but didn't go by Slim, and five of them were pitchers. So there have been there have been position players nicknamed Slim. Jerry Kindle, who was an infielder, was apparently nicknamed Slim. Six two, one seventy five. That's not also, even slim. That's not even <laughs> not like for really the standard slim. for the standards of the day. That's about five pounds underweight. <laughs> yeah. Right. I yeah. mean, six one one eighty. I think was the standard grown athlete male of that mm-hmm. day. So right. six two one seventy five is barely noticeable. Maybe he wore it well. Jim Hazlip, a pitcher who went by Slim, six one one eighty six. Hmm. What six one one eighty six? Yep. Slim. <laughs> and that's mm-hmm. not fat enough to be ironic. No. No, no. Maybe he was really I'd say he was really skinny when he came up, except he only pitched in one game <laughs> his entire major league career. Huh. There's also uh there's a guy named Turkey Tyson. Yeah. Whose whose nickname is Slim. <laughs> yeah. And he, he his dimensions are very weird. Six five two twenty five. Oh, I was gonna say six five fourteen and a half pounds frozen <laughs> in a nice uh, in a nice brine. Yeah, he's listed as a pinch hitter because he had one major league plate appearance during the war. But still, get, if you're if you're yeah. named Turkey Tyson, your nickname isn't Slim. Your nickname is Turkey. I get why you get the nickname Slim. I don't get why you get the nickname Turkey. Does was Tyson's chicken? Uh, <laughs> Like was uh, oh, Tyson's well, poultry farm in existence yet? So his bullpen page on Baseball Reference says he was called both Turkey Tyson and Slim Tyson, apparently because of his size. <laughs> so maybe Turkey was just something you called. How big was he? Six five and a half, two twenty five. 
So I don't know. Huh. Is turkey? Is that does that mean you're big? <laughs> I don't, don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Can't call him either. Alright. I wonder why it's so pitcher skewed. Why do you think that is? Is it because Well, partly because the this the I mean the, the six seven guys you named Tall sure. and thin, tall, tall and thin was not an attractive body type for a for a hitter for a hitter. Yeah. All right. Good play index. Oh, Coupon thanks. Coupon code BP. Baseballreference.com. Well, you lowered expectations by saying it was going to be the shortest one ever, and then it there's a good amount of content there. It's like like eleven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we just went. <laughs> All right. John says, so I was thinking about the Granky signing and about how he's openly admitted in the past that he signs with the team that pays him the most money and that he would gladly sign with a last place team if that team paid him the most. I don't fault any ball player for going for the most money, but it got me thinking, how much would some insane billionaire have to pay Granky or to any other star play. free agent to, not play. to never to not play, play baseball again? That's a, good, that's a really good question. In other words, an insane billionaire, he doesn't even have to be insane. Maybe he's sane and he knows he has a billion dollars and what else are you going to do with that? Offers Granky a contract that pays him a certain amount of money per year for a certain period of years. And Granky can only get that money if he does not play baseball for any professional team during that time contract would take Granky through what would be his age 38 season or it could take him through his age 42 season or whatever assuming that Granky and other star players love to compete and all of that how much money would it take for them to give up their livelihood potentially for the remainder of what should be the prime of their careers and by the way give up their livelihood but also not have to work yes <laughs> give right. up the burden of working yes um I mean, how much different, first of all, I guess, is there any precedent in any other field that you can think of? Like, do you think that, um, like, Nicki Minaj playing the bar, bar mitzvah or, like, Pearl Jam playing, like, corporate events in the in the mid-90s? I, I, I think I remember Pearl Jam doing this, but I might be badly slandering Pearl Jam because the whole point of me remembering it is that it's so out of character for them in the mid 90s mm-hmm. and so maybe they didn't but uh is it that different from I guess the, yeah because nothing is stopping Nicki Minaj from then still putting out an album and playing at uh Ozfest or wherever she wants to play yeah, uh, it would be like if maybe it's like the uh equivalent of the Wu-Tang album that only one get well, only one person gets to hear. Yeah, but that's that wasn't commissioned for one thing. No. Like that was that was a that was imagined by them. And mm-hmm. again, it doesn't restrict them from doing anything else. True. And it's not like Wu Tang's like we've only got a finite number of songs. <laughs> <laughs> we've only got thirty in our heads. We better save these. I mean, <laughs> no. it's it's like yeah they they've got they've got some to spare. Yeah. Uh, so who has anybody has anybody just dislike someone's work so much that they paid them to stop? Well, even not maybe not even that, but has anybody for any reason chosen to do something that prevented them from doing what they their the thing that they were great at and they wanted to do? Like for instance, Jim Brown quit football and became like an actor. But mm. he presumably wanted to. Like there was no duress there. He didn't he would rather do that. But I'm trying to think of like, like, uh, I don't, this is not a, this doesn't hold up. But the first thing I thought of was like um, Hollywood screenwriters who, uh, who were blacklisted. And some of them were, you know, actually, like they actually chose to be communists at the uh, cost of their career. And so maybe if we could then put a dollar value on on being true to one's political ideology, we can't. There's nine things wrong with everything I just said. But like, as if we could use that as a proxy of sorts for putting the value, uh, a value on it. But I can't think of anything where someone had to make that choice. No. Uh, well, how about like politicians who give up their political careers to make money in the private sector or lobbying? Like Mm. if they thought they might be a presidential candidate sometime down the road, how much would you pay to give up your presidential aspirations? That would kind of be comparable. Like if, if how much would a crazy billionaire have to pay, um, you know, Hillary Clinton right now to not run for president anymore? Yeah. But I don't know. Do any political candidates who really think they have a 
a shot actually well, that, not take it. I know that's the problem. Yeah. Like we're we're having trouble thinking of. I'm thinking of examples that could be, but have not actually been demonstrated in any way. Right. I don't know. I would guess that it depends on the person. It depends on. It's like uh, like Howard Dean is uh, he's like an advisor at a lobbying firm now, but that's because he, he's not going to be president. But when he thought he was going to be president or had a shot, he ran. So, so it. I think that it's a lot higher if you're a guy who's still playing for the Hall of Fame. Like, I would imagine the answer is very different for Jeff Samarja than it is for somebody at Zach Granke's level, where you might have eight more years and then be eternal. Yeah, and Granke's going to be like a third of the way to being a billionaire by the time he's retired. Yeah, there's that too. And yet, <laughs> he's made... and yet, yeah. and yet the money does seem to matter, at least at a point, the money does still seem to matter to people. Yeah. Like, I would think that if someone offered Granke four and a half billion dollars, to me, that doesn't seem controversial. Like, if someone came and offered Cranky four and a half billion dollars, he would take that to never play again. Probably, yeah. I mean, he's he's made a hundred and ten million, and he just signed a two hundred and six and a half million dollar deal. So his career earnings going to be well over three hundred million by the time he retires, and that's if he doesn't sign another contract after that. So, but he's already he's already told us though that the money matters. Yeah, money matters, right? And he will go to the Diamondbacks instead of the team he was playing for or whatever for, you know, not that huge a difference in money. I think that the money, uh, as we've talked about, I think the money matters to these guys more for the status and for the validation than it does uh, for the actual purchasing power. And, mm-hmm. when, you know, when you're talking about a few extra million dollars. And so uh, they would not get that validation or that status uh, to be paid to walk away, basically, I don't think. So mm. I would say that it needs to be, uh, I'd go like 3.8 times future career earnings. So whatever your future career earnings are, 3.8 times that. Uh-huh. What if it were like you were being paid to quit because you were so good by a fan of your rival or something? Then it would be some status. What yeah. if he was about to sign with yeah, the Giants be, or something? Pe- and well, then... people people would hate you, though. Well, yeah. People, people would, would despise you. you forever if that were the case. <laughs> That's true. It's also, if if you're 37 and they're buying out the last two years of a career that you're kind of tired of anyway, that's obviously a lot different mm-hmm. than if you're 30. But yeah. um, I'm sticking to it 3.8 times. So for Granky, Granky will make... Uh, 206 million plus maybe a little bit more Mm -hmm. after that. So let's say in his mind, he's thinking he's got uh, $245 million in earning potential left. Mm -hmm. So it would take, um, uh, yeah, like 925 million or so. Okay. So the billionaire would pretty much have to give up (laughs) almost a billion. Well, most billionaires, yeah, most billionaires don't have exactly a billion dollars. No, but most of them are clustered towards the one billion. But even if they did, he'd still have way more than you and I will make in our entire lives. <laughs> That's true. He would be so rich if he gave nine hundred twenty-five billion dollars of a million yeah. of his of his billion dollars away. He'd be so rich. Yeah. He'd be so much richer than the, than after I make the decision to not get guacamole. <laughs> All right. Last thing is from another Ben who says, you mentioned that most teams are believed to have a war equivalent metric that they employ. How different do you think the metrics can get from each other? And in what ways from the leading war calculations we as fans have access to? I ask this because as I follow the offseason analysis, I'll see sites do an analysis of how a team's war at a given position has moved and at what cost as a pretty basic means of evaluating transactions. What I wonder is how much we can glean about a team's specific version of war from their transactions. For example, one way to interpret the Pirates offseason thus far is that they've managed to stay about level in overall team war while shedding significant salary. But I wonder if the team's offseason also tells us that their metrics were even lower on Pedro Alvarez and Neil Walker, and they view the turnover at those positions as net gains before even considering the dollars saved. Thoughts? I, uh, I don't... I don't think I know enough to speculate on this, so I want to hear your answer. I think there are, like, maybe there have been some times in recent years, like if there's something that teams are considering that other teams are not at all considering, like when catcher framing stuff caught on and you could kind of see that, like, maybe the Rays were 
valuing Jose Molina differently than other teams, or maybe the Pirates valuing, I don't know, Francisco Cervelli or whoever differently from other teams, and they keep trading for good framing catchers and that sort of thing. So that could maybe tell you that that's a bigger part of their war than others. But otherwise, I don't know that you could tell from any one specific move. I would think that, I would think, as you've said on the show, that probably not that different in most cases from the the publicly available metrics and that if anything, they're just more reliable in small sample sizes because it's using a different, better data source for fielding, that kind of thing. And you don't need three seasons to tell if someone's good. Maybe you only need one or part of one. And I would think that maybe you'd have better projections in the future if you were incorporating scouting and doing like a lot of specific work on aging curves specific to a certain player. And maybe you would, you know, if you wanted to project like how a guy would do in your division, maybe you'd even go in depth and look at what pitchers are in your division and how he does against certain types of pitchers. Maybe they're more sophisticated at that kind of thing than we are. But I'm, you know, for the most part, the good guys are still going to be good. The bad guys are still going to be bad. So I don't think you could glean anything from most moves. Yeah. All right. That sounds right. Cool. So podcast at baseballperspectus.com. Please continue to send us emails. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Rate and review the show on iTunes. Wait, Ben, real quick. I I just want to, I looked at the long-term projections for Fernandez and Trout. Okay. And actually it is for the next three years, it is almost exactly four and a half wins per year. For Fernandez. For, Fernand- for mm-hmm. Fernandez. And then what do we say? 40 wins total for Trout? Yeah. Uh, we have him at like 33, which uh, I'll take the over. Yeah. Okay. So not too different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. About yeah, 33, 34. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. And coupon code BP. Use it when you subscribe to the Play Index. Get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Have a nice weekend. We'll be back next week. <laughs>